Well, welcome to The Crossing today. Glad that you're here. I also want to welcome our Southeast campus, our microsites, those who are watching online. Can we just give them a big hand? Glad that you're part of The Crossing family. Well, Easter is just a few weeks away for us, and we have eight identical services on our two campuses. We'll have six services here at the Windmill Campus, and we'll have two services at the Southeast Campus. Our service times at Southeast are going to be the same at 10 and 11.30, but here at the Windmill Campus, every single service time changes. We're going to start on Saturday night at 4, and then 6, and then Sunday at 8, 9.30, 11, and 12.30. I feel tired just talking about it. Here's what I need you to do. We know for certain we will run out of seats at the 9.30 and 11 o'clock service. And so we need you to be able to move to the Saturday night, the 8 o'clock, the 12.30. If you can make a point right now, just to, to um, a plan that you will attend one of the other services, that will be a huge help for us because we want to make sure everybody who's coming has a seat. Next week, we'll have invite cards, hoping that you are praying about who you're going to invite. This is a great opportunity. And we'll be finishing every service with baptisms out in the courtyard. And so maybe you've been thinking about this. There is no better day than on Easter to be baptized. So we'll be doing that here in a few weeks. It's going to be just an exciting time for us. Well, today we're beginning this brand new series called Crucial Conversations. Our lives are a collection of the conversations that we've had. That our conversations are things that, that we remember over time. Now, I was thinking about movies because movies have certain crucial conversations that we remember, and that's how we remember the movie. Like, like this one, Luke, I am your father, which is a crucial conversation from what movie? Star Wars. Okay, you're with me. You're with me. Okay, how about this one? You can't handle the truth. What's that one? A few good men. A few good men. Um, there's no crying in baseball. I love that one. You know what that is? A league of their own with Tom Hanks. Um, you had me at hello. What's that one? Yeah, stupid movie. Jerry Maguire. <laughs> Houston, we have a problem. Apollo 13. And then this last one is from the greatest trilogy of all time. No, not Lord of the Rings. I'm talking about Toy Story. It's to infinity and beyond. You know, that's the greatest of all time. There's probably a handful of conversations you've had in your life that were crucial conversations. They were pivotal moments for you. There was something that you needed to hear. Someone challenged you and they spoke hard truth into you, and it changed your life. It was a crucial conversation. Jesus loved having crucial conversations throughout his life and his ministry. Jesus would encounter people who did not think that he would have anything to do with them, and he had these crucial conversations. It didn't matter whether they were religious or non-religious, skeptic or believer, men, women, young or old, none of that mattered. Jesus would meet people on their turf, and he would have a conversation with them. And what Jesus would do is Jesus would approach people right where they were because most people have this wall that's been built up between them and God. And Jesus would begin to take down this wall that had been put in front of them and God, and he would take it down one piece at a time. And here's how Jesus always did this. Jesus did it relationally. 
Every encounter that Jesus had was a relational encounter. He started with a relationship. And still today, still today, we have crucial conversations with Jesus. The way that Jesus has crucial conversations with us today, it comes by the way of the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Jesus in us. It comes by God's Word. There's sometimes you're reading the Bible, and it just hits you between the eyes. It's like, I needed to hear that. That's because God's Word is living and active. It's not just something that was written thousands of years ago. It is alive, and it speaks in us. It happens through people, that God uses people to speak wisdom into us. And I believe this is why it's so important for us to be in a setting like this. It's not that God speaks to us anymore in this setting. It's that we're ready to listen. See, there is something important and powerful about coming together in community. When we come together in community and when we worship together, God prepares us. He prepares our hearts for us to hear from God because we are finally listening. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 1, that over these next four weeks, we're going to look at four of these crucial conversations as we lead up to, to Easter. And we know that there's four biographies of Jesus, four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But maybe you didn't know the purpose of each one. Well, each of the gospels was written to a different audience for a different purpose. The book of Matthew was written to a Jewish audience, and the reason that he wrote his gospel was to convince the Jewish people that Jesus was the promised Messiah who was promised to come. Mark was written to a Roman or a Gentile audience, and it was to show them about Jesus' identity and purpose for coming. Luke, Luke had his gospel underwritten by a by a powerful guy by the name of Theophilus. And he went and interviewed people and he put together this orderly chronological account of Jesus' life. Well, John wants us to know that Jesus has a personal relationship with us. He wants us to know Jesus on a personal level. He wants us to know Jesus as the Son of God. And he anticipates our objections. He writes as if to say, you know, I'm not asking you to believe anything yet. I want you to come and see. And what we're going to see today is Jesus breaking down the wall of skepticism. So we're going to start John chapter 1, verse 35. It says, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. Now, this is John the Baptist. This isn't John who's writing this gospel. It's John the Baptist. John was there with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Now, this is the second time that John the Baptist has said this. And here's why this is significant. is because they understood a sacrificial system. That the way that you get a right standing with God is they would sacrifice an animal to make atonement with God. Well, John is saying Jesus is the Lamb of God, that he is now that atonement that we have from God. It goes on and it says, when, two disciples, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. See, they are not followers of Jesus yet. They're just following Jesus. You ever have somebody who is following so close to you, they're kind of in your personal space and you can tell they're close by? Well, this is what's happening. They're following Jesus and Jesus is 
looking back, he's like, what do you want? What are you guys doing? They go, where are you going? And Jesus just said, just come and see. I, I just want you to come and see. Jesus invited them to spend time with him. It says, so they went. So they went and saw where he was staying. And they spent the day with him. That they just hung out with Jesus. They just got to spend time with him. Well, that was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John had said, and he followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. And I want you to notice this progression, that the first thing that Andrew does after he follows Jesus is he tells his brother about him. Then it says, then Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter, or the way we would translate that is the rock. Jesus says, you are the rock. And I want you to notice what begins to happen because Andrew, he has this invitation to follow Jesus. And the first thing he does is he goes and tells his brother, Peter, he goes, you've got to come and see. You've got to check this out. Says the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Now, many scholars believe that Philip was the other of these two disciples, that he was the the other one of John's disciples who originally followed Jesus. And Jesus gives him the same invitation, follow me. See, Jesus could have said, believe in me, that, that Philip, I want you to believe in me, or listen to me, just listen to me, just just listen to what I say, or trust me, just trust me. But he didn't say any of that. He said, follow me, just spend time with me, get close to me, meaning this relationship is going to be a process. It's not going to be this one and done thing, that you're not going to hear a lecture and have all of your questions answered. You're not going to hear one thing and then just believe everything about Jesus. It is a process. It says, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one, talking about the Messiah. We found the guy. He's the Christ that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And see, this is so powerful because it starts with Andrew. Andrew starts following Jesus and the first thing that he does is he tells his brother Peter, you need to come and see. And then Jesus comes to Philip and he says to follow me. And then the first thing that Philip does is he goes to Nathanael He says, you need to come and see. You need to check this out. Here's what I want you to see. Is that the gospel spreads relationally. The movement of Jesus has never been a movement of religious propositions. The movement of Jesus has never been about statements of morality or political agendas. Jesus did not come to establish any of those things. Jesus always led with relationships. And while that was good for Andrew Peter, and Philip, Nathaniel is a little skeptical about the whole thing. He says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Now, we can understand this because this is kind of how I feel about Barstow. 
I don't even know why Barstow's there, other than it's halfway between here and Disneyland. You know, it's somewhere we can go to the bathroom. It's like anything good come out of Barstow? I mean, we've got the in and out there, and we have the Starbucks. But otherwise, I mean, why does Barstow exist? Well, here Nathaniel, he's not just taking a shot at this podunk town, though he is, because Nazareth was this insignificant town that nobody paid attention to. It has had a few hundred people in it, and nobody thought anything about it. But it's not just that he thought this was a podunk town. It was more than that. What Nathaniel is saying is if Jesus is the one, if Jesus is the Messiah, then the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. See, this is a great question. Nathaniel has a great question, and we know the answer to that. We know how it all took place because Mary and Joseph are from Nazareth. But when this census was taken, they had to go to Bethlehem, and when they're in Bethlehem, Mary's water breaks, and Jesus is born in Bethlehem to fulfill prophecy. But he's from Nazareth. My youngest daughter was born in Missouri, and she was six weeks old when we came to Vegas for the first time. I was interviewing at a church here in town called Canyon Ridge Christian Church, and I became their student ministry pastor. And so, Taylor, she was six weeks old when we came and interviewed. We moved here when she was five months old. She's 24 now, and she still tells people she's from St. Louis. They're like, well, not really. I mean, you're not really from there. You're kind of from Vegas. Well, Nathaniel comes along with this great question. He says, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? See, many of you have great questions. You have great questions about the Bible. You have great questions about the existence of God. You've come in here with these great questions about Jesus. And one of the environments that we have here at the crossing, it is an environment called Alpha. Alpha is this environment where you can bring your questions and we will help provide some answers for you that there is no question that's off limits. See, Philip could have built a wall and said, just believe. But instead, he repeats the same words of Jesus, just come and see. You just need to come and see what Jesus has done. Then it says this, it says, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And I love how Nathanael says this, how do you know me? Because they've never met before. I mean, how do you know me? See, Jesus doesn't wait to be introduced. Philip doesn't say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, I want to introduce you to Nathanael. Nathanael, this is JC. Just want you guys to meet. (laughs) Jesus sees him coming and he says, there is a good man. That's a man of God. Nathaniel's like, how do you even know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now, it was common to, to read under a fig tree or under an olive tree in the shade. They would often sit there and they would read scripture. There was no Starbucks back then. You couldn't go and get in the air conditioning and order your frappuccino. So they would sit under the shade of the tree to protect them from the sun. But I think there's something deeper here. Now, this is just my opinion. This is not in Scripture. But I wonder if Nathaniel had a significant spiritual moment under that fig tree. That maybe when Nathaniel was, was sitting there, maybe he just began to have these questions with God. God, I'm reading your Scripture, but I don't even know if you're real because I've not felt you in a long time. Maybe he was just praying, God, do you have a purpose for my life? Is there a reason for me being here? Do you have something more for me because I want something more? 
I think he had a significant spiritual moment under that fig tree because look how he replies. It says, then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. This is one of the themes of John's gospel, greater things. That there is this idea where Jesus says, you will see greater things and you will do greater things. That I have big plans for you, Nathaniel. See, I believe what Jesus is saying to him is, Nathaniel, I am who you are looking for. When you are under that fig tree, I'm him. You just come and see. Just come and spend time with me. Maybe some of you, you walked in here feeling the same thing, and here's what you need to hear today. Jesus has been pursuing you for a really long time, and Jesus says to you, I am the one that you're looking for. I'm him. I can change your life. Just come and see. You just come and see. Then Jesus ends like this. He then added, very truly, I tell you, You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And then we read that and we go, what? What does that mean? Well, Jesus is referring to a story that's out of Genesis chapter 28. And what happens in Genesis 28 is Jacob, Jacob is this deceiver and he's running for his life because he's deceived so many people. There's his brother is out to kill him and so he's running for his life and God meets him at that place. He has this dream. And in this dream that God gives him, there is a ladder that's coming down from heaven. You've heard of Jacob's ladder. This is the story Jesus is referring to. What God is saying is, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to be the ladder for you to connect with me, to connect to heaven. See, Nathaniel would have recognized that story. He would have known it. But what Jesus is saying, maybe Nathaniel was reading that story. But Jesus is saying, I am that ladder. I am that connection to the Heavenly Father. I have come to reconcile you back to God. I am the ladder between heaven and earth. Maybe in your past, you've been skeptical. Maybe you've been skeptical about God. Maybe you've been skeptical about the Bible or skeptical about Jesus. Or maybe you're still there today. Maybe you come in here with your skepticism, and it's just you need something, but if you were being really honest, there's just some skepticism. You grew up in a church where your your questions weren't welcome, and here's the idea. You just need to go and accept. You just need to go and accept that this has been the wall that's been built up between you and God, and you're told you just need to believe. You just need to take it at at what the Bible says, and you're skeptical, and you didn't dare tell anyone you were skeptical. Just go and accept, you were told. Over the years, I've talked to a lot of skeptics, and what I've found is that the heart of skepticism are several barriers. These walls that have become a barrier between them and God. Here's this first one. I just call it the intellectual wall. That This is the idea where some people say, you know, that only weak-minded people need religion. The religion is just this crutch to get you through the day because you're too weak. It is, it's this intellectual wall that maybe you grew up going to church, but you went away to college and it eroded your faith. 
And, you know, what your professor said is that the Bible was just full of myths. And it's been proven wrong by science. See, this is my brother-in-law's story. My brother-in-law has a PhD in science. He is a smart dude. He's just really smart. And when he met my sister and when they got married, he was an agnostic. He had this presupposition that the Bible couldn't be true until he began to investigate it. And he discovered that science didn't disprove the Bible. In fact, it was the Bible that began to explain science. For some of you, you have this intellectual wall that's just been this wall between you and God that somebody's put there. For the others of you, it's an emotional wall. It's this emotional wall that that people wrestle with these things with God. Like, if God is a good God, then why is there suffering in this world? And you, you just cannot rectify that in your mind. Or you, you look at Christians, and every Christian you know is a hypocrite and has done you wrong, and you say, if that's how God is, I want nothing to do with Christianity. Or maybe you have this question, you, you think, how could a loving God send people to hell? That just doesn't make sense to me. Or maybe it was a moment in your life where you prayed and it was a prayer that you earnestly prayed and God didn't answer the prayer that you thought he should have and you walked away from God. You were just done with that. See, at the heart of your emotional wall is this disappointment with God. God did not do what you thought that he should have done. Whenever I encounter someone who is hostile towards Christianity, I know that there is something deeper than that. There's a story behind that. And if I get the opportunity, I'll begin to probe a little bit deeper. And I'll just ask him, just tell me your story. Just just tell me your story. What happened? Because there is this emotional wall. Well, this last one is what I call a moral wall. What I mean by a moral wall is that they've chosen to live their lives in a way that's contrary to the Bible. So it is easier to walk away from God than it is to walk away from this lifestyle or this habit that you have. And you hear people in this idea, they say, you know, this is my life. I can live it however I want. Don't tell me who I can sleep with or who I can't sleep with because this is my life. And there are these walls, these intellectual, emotional, and moral walls that have become this barrier between us and God. And here's the good news. Is Jesus never said, just go and accept. Just believe. Because here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, just come and see. Just come and see. Just spend time with me. Just hang out with me. Because that's when our lives begin to change. See, Jesus' invitation to his followers was not an invitation to keep the Ten Commandments. And Jesus' invitation to his followers was not even an invitation to obedience. Jesus' invitation was an invitation into relationship. Follow me. Come spend time with me. Come and see. Because when you get close enough to Jesus, your life will change. Every now and then, I'll talk to somebody out in the lobby, and they'll be new, and they'll say, man, I love this church. I love the music here. I love your teaching. And then they kind of lean in because they want to whisper this because they don't want anybody to hear it. They'll just say, you know, I just don't believe everything you believe. And I say, don't ever come back here again. I I don't ever want to see your face in here again, ever. (laughs) 
And I said, that's okay. You don't have to believe what I believe. You just keep coming. Because I just believe when someone gets close to Jesus, Jesus changes their life. You don't have to have all of your questions answered to follow Jesus. Just come and see. It doesn't matter how little faith you have, even if you have no faith, even if you're here right now and you have no faith at all, none of Jesus' earlier, earliest followers believed. When you read the Gospels, it talks about Jesus does some miracle and it says that they believed. And you're like, what? Didn't they believe Jesus when they followed him? Well, they, they kind of did. But Jesus kept saying to them, do you still not believe? You need to have faith. You need to trust me. You need to have faith. They did not fully believe until after the resurrection. But here's what Jesus knew. If you start loving Jesus, you'll start living differently. Not because God has this to-do list for all Christians. You better do this and you better not do this. It's because an invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation into a relationship. Here's the bottom line, is Jesus is better experienced than explained. Just come and see. Just get close. Jesus is better experienced than, ex than explained. I may not be able to give an answer for why you're suffering. I may not have an answer for why you're going through what you're going through, because those things confuse me as well. And listen, you don't have to know every single Bible verse but I can help you experience Jesus by the way that I love you and by the way that I serve you. The goal is not to explain something. The goal is to experience someone. Jesus is better experienced than explained. So I have two questions. Two questions for two groups in here. Question number one, is my skepticism a wall between me and God? See, only you can answer that. Only you can answer if your skepticism has become this wall between you and God. That's kind of been this barrier that you can't quite get close enough to God. See, there's probably a little skeptic in all of us. Because if you ever get a call on your cell phone where they say you've won a free vacation, and then they want you to give them your credit card number, you learn to be a little skeptical. See, healthy skepticism is good. Jesus didn't condemn Nathaniel, but unhealthy skepticism will build this wall between you and God. So what do you do with it? What do you do with it? Well, here's what you do. You begin to take your skepticism and you take it down brick by brick in the same way that you put them up. It's how you take them down. That prayer that went unanswered, where you just felt like God must not care about you, you begin to take that down. That professor that confused you, that said, you know, the Bible is not really true, it's not really relevant, you begin to take that down. That experience that you had, that you don't know what to do with it, you just take it down brick by brick. And here's what we know. God can handle this. And you take your skepticism and you take your doubts and you take them to the foot of the cross. You give them to Jesus. You take whatever doubts that you have and you say, okay, God, I'm giving you this because you're going to have to take this. God is big enough. 
to take all of your doubts and all of your skepticism and to take you just as you are. But you can begin to dismantle that just one piece at a time. And you bring it to the cross. Here's question number two. Am I building walls or am I breaking them down? See, all of us who are followers of Jesus, this is our question right here. This is the one that we have to answer for ourselves. Am I building walls up between people and God or have I committed my life to just breaking down walls? See, we have the opportunity to take down that wall. When Nathaniel said, what, what good can come out of Nazareth? Philip could have said, forget you. I'm unfriending you on Facebook. I want to be done with you. But he didn't do that. Instead, he broke down the wall. and He said, just come and see. He didn't have to have an answer for every question. Just come and see. See, sometimes we get in a religious argument with someone and we win the argument and we lose the person. See, part of tearing down walls is giving up your right to be right. Because that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you win another religious argument in your office. It matters that you're taking down the wall for people to come to Jesus and you just say, just come and see. Just come and see what God can do. See, when we're in that place, we need to pray more and argue less. We need to pray more for them and stop talking to them about how they're wrong. Just ask God to open up the door. See, this is what Billy Graham was so amazing at. I watched his funeral on Friday morning. It was just so inspiring. But Billy Graham just had one simple message. Jesus loves you, and he wants a relationship with you. Billy Graham just said, all you have to do is repent and you can come to Jesus, whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done. See, this is a story of my brother-in-law. It wasn't that he just investigated Christianity. It was that my sister, his wife, lived an authentic relationship with Jesus. It was contagious. See, Jesus is better experienced than explained. It's just saying, just come and see. You just come and see. Just spend time with Jesus. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray with you. And I just want you just to bow your heads. And we're going to pray together. But here's what I want to challenge you to do. If right now, if you have some skepticism, I just want you to give that to God. Just name it. God's big enough to handle it. And you take it to the foot of the cross and say, okay, God, I'm giving this to you. I don't have an answer for this. But I'm going to move forward in faith. And you ask God to show up in your life in this situation. Maybe it's starting a relationship with Jesus today. Just saying, okay, I need to take a step of faith. For others, for those of us who are followers of Christ, it's just praying this prayer, God, help me to take down the wall. Help me to take down the wall brick by brick, conversation by conversation, by loving people, by just inviting them to come to Jesus. Father, we thank you for the power of the gospel. That, God, we're here not because of what we've done. We're here because of what Jesus has done for us. So, God, we surrender our lives to you. God, for those who just have some skepticism, and maybe today they're just laying it down at the foot of the cross, God, would you meet them right where they are? God, I've already prayed for them today. God, I pray that you would meet them right at their place of need. 
For those who are maybe ready to start a relationship with Jesus, God, I pray that you would meet them right now. God, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, God, would you just help us to tear down these walls, to give up the right to being right and just invite people to relationship with Jesus. So we pray this in the one who invited us into relationship, the name of Jesus. Amen.